Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, I'm over here cooking dinner with hooks, rubs, and spices. Uh, B-Rob turned me on to this stuff, and i tell you what, it's great. It's a homemade blend of the finest ingredients sourced from Texas gardens, farmers, and markets. And it's some good shit. i tell you what, try the smoking sweetness, or you can try Hoppy's favorite, the Mad Cow, which is a nice peppery slap in the face. <laughs> One taste, and you'll be hooked. Hooks, rubs, and spices. What up, everybody? This is your boy B Rob, and I'm back with another edition of the Random Rams with Rob podcast. First and foremost, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for coming back each and every week or However, you listen to podcasts. If you're a first time listener, I appreciate you oh so much for giving my show a try. And if you're in the vicinity of the person that recommended you to me, they're going to give that person a crisp high five. And if you're not in that general vicinity, use your social media app of choice, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or whatever have you, Snapchat, Tinder, Grinder, whatever the fuck you're using. I don't know if you're on Tinder and Grinder getting podcast recommendations because I don't think that's the atmosphere for that type of thing. But nonetheless, getting them DMs, send that person that recommended you to me and tell them thank you. Tell them you appreciate it for that recommendation and whatnot. And speaking of social media, you can find me on social media as well. You can find me walking the hollowed halls of Walmart uh, to where I just talk random shit on Instagram. So just look up hashtag 3R show on Instagram. You can follow the show on Twitter at 3R Show. You can follow it on Facebook or like it on Facebook. However, fuck Facebook work. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Go to randomrobcast.com. You can find all that stuff I just said, plus a little extra, including the sponsor, Hooks, Rubs, and Spices. If you want to put that spice on your meats and everything, daggone, go to hooksrubsandspices.etsy.com. Use that promo code 3R Show and you get 10% off your order. On order six dollars or more, and you ain't gonna find nothing up under six dollars anyway on that motherfucker. So I mean, that discount is gonna come in handy. Anyway, I done talked to all that business shit right up front, so you don't have to hear that shit on the back end. But I have a guess, and this man comes to, into my world from the world of Twitter. You know, I'm scrolling through my feed and everything, and they go on video pop up. I'm like, hmm, I'm interested. What is this? I'm, it's intrigued. I'm intrigued by it because it's a black man and I'm a black man. And I like to hear what other black men have to say because I don't know. I mean, we got to stick together. That's how we do. And you're saying some funny shit. Very funny shit. Not, not, not only, yeah, not, not only because he's a comedian or whatever, but I, I, he has that personality. It's just like, the work, the way he delivered the words and everything and how it hit my ears. It was just like, I was looking at it. I was entertained and I was like, I need to talk to this person, you know? So that's what I did. I reached out and my guest with me joining this evening is Mr. Dave Temple. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm all right, man. How you doing? Hanging in there. I, I know you're on the road trying to get to your destination so you can entertain the millions and millions. So I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to bullshit with me. Yeah, nah, I'm good, man. Keep me sharp. I'm on my way back to New York. 
Uh, and, you know, got a few shows in Times Square tonight. Uh, you know, some tourists will be walking around, which has some good crowds and make the, uh, I don't know, either piss off or make laugh, whatever happens in a comedy club anymore. Yeah. Now, um, you say you're going to do some shows in Times Square or whatever. What is it? Is this your first time doing it in Times Square? I mean, I, I'm pretty sure you a native to that eastern area or whatever, but is this like your first time doing it in Times Square? No, no. This is a club. I've been performing after the year. Okay, so what was it like the first time, you know, getting that opportunity to do a show in Times Square? Um, first time, I think, you know, my first time working there, so a little bit about the way this club works. This is a showcase club. So, you know, it's basically a host and six comics to go up. Everybody does 15 minutes. So it ain't like, you know, the headlining club where you see a comic do an hour. Uh, and then they have these things that they call check spots. And that's when you're a young comic, you get to go out while everybody is paying their check. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit nerve-wracking, but you get used to it because your first few times doing it, absolutely nobody's paying you any attention. I don't know. Everyone's just sorting through the bill, arguing, figuring out, you know, what it is. So you kind of get used to it, and then you kind of get learn how to develop some laughs and hold their attention from such an uphill battle and then it just becomes yeah it just becomes a thing that you do you know it's like like when you see a fighter walking out the guy you know they get that door closed behind them they're not really thinking about it it's just what they do now yeah now i i had a similar experience i, I haven't done too many live performances or podcasts or whatever the fuck but i did a i was at a comic palooza and we did i did the show live on the floor and it was weird because it was just kind of the similar atmosphere or whatever. Everybody's there for a comic book convention and I'm just sitting here in the middle of the floor, you know, conducting the interview with my guests and shit. And it's distracting yeah. because you got motherfuckers dressed like Deadpool and you got the girls dressed like Harley Quinn with like the tightest and shortest of booty shorts. And it's kind of hard to listen to my man talk about his art, his music, his passion to, you know, compose and stuff. When they got you know half naked Harley Quinn and girls in bikinis walking around in front of me and shit, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting world, man. That Comic Con. Have you ever been? Yes, yes. Uh, I went to the one here in New York last year, and it really blew my mind. You know, to see. Yeah, it was a room that I didn't know. And my friends, yeah. they did, they took me also as a gag. Like, um, so they, they were also doing their podcast live on the floor in Comic Con. But they knew the way I grew up, um, the streets kind of got a hold of me at a young age. So I kind of missed out on a lot of that childhood stuff, like comic books and, and things of that nature. It just wasn't something that I was aware of that was so big. Yeah. And so literally, I think I was about 35 my first time seeing any of this. Most of the comics I was even familiar with or even familiar that people could find such joy in something, uh, something so simple, you know? Yeah. It, was, it was nice. It was really refreshing. It's kind of the same thing for me because I had never been to a comic book convention or any convention for that matter up until that point because of the podcast. So... I'm walking around and I'm just taking all this in and it's just like it 
it didn't shock me because I seen a lot of this stuff on Instagram and you know all over social media. You know, people do cosplay and everything, and they do some bomb ass shit. But to see it in person, so many people doing it and everything, it was just like, damn. I mean, it was just weird. Yeah, seeing it in person was something different, especially when you see the women, man. You yeah, it's a lot of. I, I, it had this stigma that everybody was a nerd. Now, they have some that's there to kind of milk the culture and everything, because they had some women that was in there. I don't know. I mean, I'm not well-versed in comic books and, you know, all that stuff or whatever, but I know goddamn well I ain't never seen no comic book character wear some of the shit that some of these ladies was wearing. It's like they're straight-up bikinis and shit. I say I doubt if Wonder Woman is walking around in just straight up bra and panties and shit, you know, saving the day and whatnot. Yeah, but that's what they were explaining to me that the characters gave them the confidence to do that. You know what I mean? And that was the point that I think I kind of dug. You know, we went, oh, y'all don't believe in yourselves, but you don't see your sex. But you know, you dress up like a sexy Wonder Woman or a sexy Harley Quinn, and this is what gives you the power to do that. And the, the, the feedback and the positive affirmation makes you feel like, oh, okay. Even though they still will feel that way outside Comic Con, yeah, it's still fascinating. And it's like, oh wow, it's literally like a kid that still needs a security blanket. You know what I mean? Like the or needs like a teddy bear or something to come out of the house and you're going, oh, there's, there's something going on. There's like a trauma thing going on with you that you never were able to get past that. Yeah, I mean, they are, it's their alter ego pretty much, like how superhero, like Superman has Clark Kent and everything or whatever. You know, they put their cape on when they get to the show. Yeah, yeah. You know, and speaking of confidence and everything like that or whatever, I mean, you're a comedian and whatnot. I mean, what were some of the things before you were a comedian that kind of, you know, brought you to this point or whatever? I know it's just like you didn't just wake up one day and walk on the stage and had a live microphone and start doing comedy. I mean, what did you do prior to or was this something that you always envisioned yourself doing? Um. Yeah, so it's funny. I I was definitely an overthinker, and I, I quietly wanted to be a philosopher. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, how do you make money philosophy? And then so I, I put that to the side, and uh, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. I went to college. I was a smart kid, but like I said, when I got to be around 15, 16, my mom got sick and I, I got in with some really bad people that were just, you know, they were teaching me how to survive the best that they knew how to. And, um, you know, I had a guidance counselor that kind of saved me, didn't gave me some college applications and made the fees, you know, and uh, I turned them in. My girlfriend at the time made me take the SATs. He would promise that I get to have sex with her afterwards. So, <laughs> you know, I did that and, and got pretty good scores. And uh, I literally went to college running away from the case that, um, you know, I had committed a crime and I was like, oh, they're looking for me. You know, they were posting warrants and stuff at my mother's door. And I, I was gone. I, I, I took off. Um, Afterwards, you know, laying low for a while on that, I uh, 
fell in with computer science and then did a bunch of sales jobs for a number of years, you know, just um, life insurance, computer, a bunch of BS, just trying to make money. Um, And um, I had a kid while I was in college, so, you know, I became a father very, very young, so that's the thing, there was already a need to provide and, and put, you know, bring something home. And at that age, you ain't really putting a household together. Me, me and my, in about eight months together. So I got back to Philly about 2005 and 2005, very, very violent year in Philadelphia. More bodies than days. We had the straight bullet just walking to the store to get some chips. So, you know, it was, it was nuts. And I, I always knew that, you know, the way things ended with me and my daughter's mom, if I don't put something out that says who I really am or how I really think, my kid is not really going to know the real me. She'll only know whatever her mom says about me. You know what I mean? And her, her image is going to be very skewed because she's doing things very differently. So that was kind of like the motivating factor of like trying to find a way to leave something behind. You know, like I always was a big fan of comedy. Dead comedian. So comedian was nothing more fascinating than listening to a comedian who was no longer here. Because their words are still here forever. Their sets are here forever. Even if, even if, like, you know, like even now you listen to some of the greats and you go like, wow, this guy was, this guy was amazing. Like, you know, like, oh, these guys are the real philosophers. These are the real faculties, the real fables, you know, like those people in form of, you know, some goosey book being studied by a seventh grade class by a kid who can't appreciate it. It's like somebody who really wants to hear what this person has to say to tune in. And that, that idea is just a way to get to talk. They, it was been on my mind for a long time, but I was just never around the kind of people that I could have you know that in the military, you know, you might have whatever your thoughts are, but you know, hey, I can't share that with these folks in here, you know, in here is just whatever the vibe is in here, you know, I gotta say, I meet some other friends on the album. Yeah. And comedy has allowed me to meet the people that I can talk that way with, you know? Yeah. And I, I get that. You know what I mean? You, you hit it spot on and everything because, um, I did that right out of high school and it was 16 years of my life. So that's all I knew after high school and everything, you know, I went straight out and straight in and um, to be be separated now for going on three years or so is just like a rediscovering of me. You know, I never thought, you know, four years ago when I was still in that, I would be sitting here, you know, talking to people like you or just doing a podcast, period, because it wasn't until like maybe four or five years ago to where even though I was in the military, I still had uh, I didn't have the confidence enough to stand up in front of people and say what was on my mind or to present things and whatnot. And um, I got an opportunity to teach. Well, I didn't get the opportunity. I was voluntold that I was going to teach. So, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> so when they say jump, motherfucker, you how high, you know, so 
I was forced to learn how to teach and to be a public speaker and everything. So, you know, in in hindsight, I wish I would have done it a hell of a lot sooner. You know, I'd probably be, you know, in a different mind state about certain things. But, you know, things happen for a reason, you know, time and a place for everything. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I was always pushed down that. I was almost pushed down that um, that path to teach. One of my degrees, as I, I did excel in college, I did enjoy myself there, but I, I got a degree in mathematics and economics. Neither which I'm using to do comedy, but uh, you know, they, they uh, when they said uh, you should be teaching as a black man, I was like, no, 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 I don't want to go into that sector of teaching high school students math. I, I, that wasn't that wasn't what I was here for, and I knew that I wasn't um, I wasn't socially equipped for it. Yeah, and I'm, I knew I was I knew I was right. I see so many teachers now being arrested for sexual misconduct. Uh, fighting students in the class and I was like, oh my God, that totally would have been me. That totally would have been me. I dodged the bullet, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. as disappointed as my mom was that I just, you know, literally did nothing with my degree. Do you understand how more disappointed she would have been if I would have got caught having a sexual affair with a high school student? Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Now, I mean, you talk about the teaching aspect and everything. I mean, you do that through your comedy. I mean, you teach people about a, another side of life and everything and also from what I've been looking at uh, you have your own university as well yeah yeah and I think my view is shaped from you know definitely saw a lot of things you know I don't complain about my childhood I don't think it was like unbearable because it was pretty standard status quo for kids that grew up in my zip code uh, that's the funny thing. It wasn't until I got to college and people were complaining about weird things. I'm like, really? That's, that's a problem for you all? You know, so I kind of began to notice that, uh, you know, my outlook was different. I had thicker skin and, it, and I wasn't, I wasn't coddled. I wasn't, I wasn't taught that the world was a, uh, a safe place, you know. So to me, I can look at things way more analytically. You know, as opposed to just choosing a side because that's what we're supposed to do. I think knowing, learning at a very young age that the adults in my life were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it helped me uh, really question authority and go like, ah, let me, let me look at this another way. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I had this conversation before or whatever. It was like I, I had that same childhood as well to where we didn't ride around with seat belts. We rode in the back of pickup trucks and, you know, all kind of shit like that and whatever to which now that we found out through technology and science and shit that it's not really safe to do a lot of those things. But do we blame our parents for the lack of knowledge back then versus all the technology and knowledge of different things that we have now? Correct. Right. Yeah, you can't blame them. They didn't know no better. Yeah. And then you would think that in hindsight because like you motherfucking parents, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that's the funny thing. Like I, I almost admire the older generation for surviving yeah. under such harsh conditions with so little information. Exactly. You know what I mean? And I think again, you know, when you look at those basic elements of some places that people, you're stripped down to the bare necessities. You know what I mean? 
favor that, you know, you're going to get an education in one of four places, the streets, college, but all four of them are going to break you down to absolutely nothing and allow you to see the world outside of that, you know, cozy space that was your childhood bedroom. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I find myself, you know, I ain't bragging or no shit like that, but like I consider myself lucky because I was born, I was born to older parents. My mother was turning 40 when she had me and my father is 10 years older than my mom. So he's like 50 and everything. So they were freaking born in the thirties, in the forties. <laughs> shit. So, you know, they survived a lot of shit and everything. And by the time I, my silly ass came around, it was like, damn, we got all these older kids and shit that's grown and have a life and a career and kids of their own and shit. And now we got this little motherfucker running around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was just like, my father worked, my mother worked, and I was kind of raised in a way by my nieces and nephews, which was weird as fuck. And then, you know, some of my older brothers and sisters that just so happened to still be of age to be in school when I was born. So <laughs> I didn't see a lot of them. But through all that or whatever, it's just like I got to be a normal kid. I didn't have too rough of a childhood. You know, my parents provided for me, but I can remember, you know, my childhood compared to what my kids have now is just like I wanted to go outside and play. I mean, we still had video games coming into the forefront, you know, Nintendo and Super Nintendo and all this stuff, and I played the shit out of that. But if it came to going outside and playing touch a tackle football versus playing Street Fighter 2, I wanted to go out there and get, you know, dirty and shit or whatever to where you present my kids with this option. Now, like, nah, I'm going to stay in this house and play the Nintendo Switch and shit and chill out. <laughs> yeah, you know what's funny, too? I remember kids in the neighborhood or like kids that we went to school with that couldn't do that. Yeah. That they couldn't keep up outside. And I don't know what happened to those kids, you know, and I, I do feel bad for some of them, but it was weird because there wasn't any excuse. Like, you know, you could say you didn't have a dad around for confidence. I didn't have no dad. I didn't have no confidence, you know, growing up. I didn't know how to ball or shoot a basketball, but I learned, you know what I mean? It was, yeah. What are you going to do? What, you gonna, what else are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, just figure it out. And that spirit, you know, um, has carried me a very, very long way. You know what I mean? Like, just being able to go to, you know, I'm city-oriented. So it's once you've left the block and you're able to go to, you know, in Philly, we had a lot of rec centers. Every Maybe yeah. about every four uh, city square blocks is a rec center with a basketball court, you know, a little local pool. Um but that was the place. That was the place where everybody hung up before you even made it to an elementary school. You know, you knew kids from the playground from hanging out, and we were all there, all there, unsupervised, usually all day long. So you know, you need that many young children unsupervised in the playground. It's it's uh, Lord of the Flies. You know what I mean? It's a natural pecking order, and. Um, you know, I, I know that now they look at that environment as unhealthy. Yeah. I couldn't see any other way of growing up. It just makes sense. You know, I know there were a lot of kids that got bullied in those in those environments. A lot of kids that did not do well in those environments. And I don't know what happened to them or how they made out in the world. But um, 
I don't think I was supposed to care either. You know, like I don't look at people as people. I look at us just like any other animal. You know what I mean? The weak ones, they fall by the, by the wayside and whatever happens to them, happens to them. You know, it's, um, you know, like you were saying about your parents kind of having just a, a regular life. You know, there's so many people that have an insignificant life. You know, you look at human history, how many people die by weird accidents. You know, the trial and error was usually life and death. And you get over that and you move on. And my childhood was no different than that. And it is weird that we pay attention to everybody now. Everybody matters. Everybody counts. We're just kind of like, ah, all right. But you look at the way things are going now, I think it's, you know, we're feeding on ourselves because we're not, that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, if that makes any sense. So it's like you look at like how much, uh, you look at things like uh, like how much homosexuality they like people aren't beating the youth, especially here in the Northeast. We're, we're too densely populated. So naturally, hey man, we got to slow down the growth. Uh, you know, you look at like all of the mass shootings all over the place. Yeah, I think it's just a natural thing of like, yeah, there's too many of us here and there needs to be, you know, mass death like how it used to be back in the day just to kind of like naturally thin out the numbers yeah i mean not to misconstrue it or whatever you're not like hey motherfuckers go out there and purge and kill motherfuckers or whatever it's just like you know it was what i was saying earlier to where things happen for a reason and whatnot and that may typically be the reason you know i mean it's sad that it happens but it was meant to be in some kind of weird way cool Correct, yeah, yeah. I ain't saying go out and do it. I'm just saying, like, everybody that's convicted, that's just going to be special. You know what I mean? When, when people go, why does this happen? It's funny that people don't understand that because I've been able to say it just happens. There is no, there's no reason for it, you know? Kid gets hit by a car and walks into the playground. He's no longer here. Yeah, it happens. We had a process that at a young age and we kept on moving. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because, like, you it's so many different things that had to come together for that one particular incident to even happen. I mean, you just can't be pointing at this one person for this one terrible thing he did. You got to, everything around it. Like, we talk about the environments that produce you and me or whatever. What kind of environment was that person living in? And if one thing had changed, it could have been a whole different story. So, I mean, you know, the fates tilted the scales in some kind of a way to kind of put everything into place. Yeah, my bad. You, you broke up there a little bit there. I'm sorry. Yeah, shit happens. <laughs> Pretty much what I was saying. <laughs> but, um, shit, I got to listen to your special and everything. And I need you to answer me one question. It was just out of all the material that I heard you go through and everything, with some... I thoroughly enjoyed, but there's one particular thing I had, you know, just out of everything I heard. What the fuck up? What was the fuck going on with your presenter, the dude that put you on the stage or whatever? Because he sounded like he was out of breath and shit. Like he ran in there and he missed his cue and everything. I think he mispronounced where where, where we seen you from or whatever the fuck, but he was out of it. Yeah, man, my brother Nate, man, which is funny. We were just on the show together last night. Yeah, he's a really, really, he's a heavy guy. He's a heavy guy. Um, 
And um, he just got excited. He wanted to bring me up really big. Um, and that that was a funny thing too. I'm glad I'm glad that that was caught on there. And I left it on there for a reason, even though the intro wasn't that great, because that was my first time really finding out how much that guy looked up to me. Yeah, he's older than me. Uh, you know, he's actually I'm a part of a motorcycle club here in Philadelphia uh, called Crenshaw Posse. He's the founder and president of the club. So this is a guy that I've learned a lot from and looked up to over the years. Mm-hmm. And here, this guy flubbing like that to bring me up. He was nervous. Yeah. He was nervous. He, you know what I mean? Because, and I, I just decided I'm, I'm keeping it. I'm yeah. keeping that, you know, because that's, again, it's something that it's a moment in time that was captured that if anybody, the fact that you even noticed that, I love that. The fact that someone noticed that and you go, what is that? What is that? And now it means so much more to know that, ah, this guy, he looks up to me. That's why he was struggling to get the intro together, man. And even last night when we did a show together, uh, he goes, man, I've always enjoyed watching you. I always learned so much from you, Dave. Yeah. You're incredible. You're on a whole other level. And, you know, it's when, when people really believe in you and they boast you up and champion you, it helps you get the confidence you need to really be the champion that you're supposed to be for people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, can, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly or whatever. I've been doing the show for four years. Well, going on four years. And it didn't, I mean, I enjoy it. And, you know, it's my baby pretty much. But it didn't really start hitting home to me like, that I was doing okay or doing well until my wife said something about it. She's like, you're doing real well. You know, she had a heart to heart with me or whatever. And I was just like, damn, I had Michael J. White on this show. And, you know, whatever my wife just said, just trumps this, that, and anything that could probably happen from here on out, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Validation, yeah. Thank you too, man, for listening to that album, man. You know what I mean? That's, that's why I put it out there. I don't, I don't know who's gonna find it or where, but it's amazing. It's been all around. Yeah, and, and um, the title, the, the first one. I mean, is it your first one, correct? Yes. Word. Now, I mean, what led you to that? What made you want to, you know, sit down, put the material together, and put it out on social media or iTunes and everything for people to find it? Um. Um, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to leave something behind. I wanted to leave because a lot of stuff that I said on that album, again, are conversations that I can only have on stage with strangers. My mom, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know how my mom felt about my material. I still don't. I don't talk to her about it. You know, uh, me and her do not have the best relationship based on, you know, my teenage years. Uh, but. I dropped a copy of that in the mail to her, you know, I signed it and I remember signing it to her and telling her like, Hey, thank you for giving me what it takes to, to make an impact and leave something behind in this world. You know, cause most of us, we don't really matter. We don't matter unless you leave something behind and you leave something behind to the people that find it, then you do matter. And that was my motivation for that. And I remember I was shopping around trying to find a, a, a record deal, a record company, someone who would, um, you know, produce this thing for me. And I don't even remember. I think it was Uproar Records and somebody that I was talking to where the guy let me know that he had missed out on recording some other great comedians. I believe it was like Roseanne Barr and some other people that he, he uh, missed out on. So he was aware that he could miss. 
And when he listens to material, there's usually he can tell right away if it's something special. Mm-hmm. And when I heard from what you sent me, Dave, this ain't nothing special. So get back to me in about mm, five years. Maybe you'll be ready in five years. Mm-hmm. And it crushed me. It crushed me when he said that for about maybe about a good two hours. And in two hours, I was able to get over it because I realized what he told me was exactly what I needed to hear. Yeah. He's right. If in five years, I'm still in the same position, looking for a record deal or looking for someone to help me produce my work and get it out, then he was right to lead me there because I wasn't going anywhere. And I'll be there in five years whenever he decides to double back and get me. So if I was going to do this, I needed to do this on my own. And that made it that much more exciting. You know what I mean? Like, because I independently produced that. I own everything to it. You hear every story of everybody complaining about how they're getting raped on their royalties and their masters and all this kind of stuff. And it was just like, yeah, you were walking right to it. You went to go to a record company and get an advance to produce an album that realistically you could produce on your own and own 100% of it. And if it becomes a legendary thing later on, then my family reaps the benefits of that, you know? And that's, now that's the beauty of it. Now you got a reason to continue to push, you know, because now you're building something. You're pushing, you're pushing your legacy. You're pushing your product, you know? Yeah, and then also, I mean, it goes in the way of what we was talking about earlier as well, how far technology has come, you know. Years ago, you couldn't do that shit. You needed a record label or somebody with some money to even think about doing this shit, you know, out of your trunk of your car or whatever. But now, I mean, shit, I can do it on my iPhone and download an app to produce it and edit it itself, you know. Right, and there's so many examples of people before us who have already done it the independent route. And there's so many examples of, you know, young black people who have done it the independent route and have had success doing it. So, you know, now, if you get caught up in all of that, I'm sorry. If, if, you know, that's like, you know, gunshots and not running. Like, yeah, that was on you. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Gonna end up like that rainbow haired boy singing the blues up in the courtroom and shit. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, Takashi man, he fascinates me, man. I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I kind of like, I like what his story is because you know this guy had like a great, you know, he was from here in uh, Bushwick, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and you know he was in a railroad apartment with his mom, his baby mom, and his and his son sleeping on the floor, and that was maybe about four years ago. That was four years ago. And, you know, working in Delhi and, you know, just really in a bad position. And he decided he championed himself and made himself something that we all paid attention to. Whether you hated it or you loved it, you couldn't ignore it. He started talking his shit. And whether it was the truth or not, we all heard it and we all listened to it. And that man had a good three-year run. Mm-hmm. of running around, talking shit, and, you know, living the life that he felt he was entitled to. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? In a sense, he definitely manifested that life for himself of, you know, whatever it is, luxury, jewelry, traveling the world. He wasn't going to see that 
sleeping on the floor with his with his baby mom and and, and cutting sandwiches in the deli. All mm-hmm. right. Now, when you champion yourself like that, you become a target. Yeah. And you know they come after you and they they want they want blood because you you done got out of the ranks. And I've I've said this on stage before, and it gets a very uh, mixed review. But I said, only other person that I know that came from nothing to having a good three-year run and then right back out was Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jesus Christ had very humble beginning and decided, you know what? Fuck this carpenter shit, man. I'm I'm done with this. I'm going to start talking cash shit. You know what I mean? Hey, my my pop is the biggest gangster. Fuck fuck Caesar. Fuck all them niggas. I'm the... I'm the real OG out here. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the same way we looked at Jesus, we looked at Takashi. Who the fuck does this dude think he is talking like that? Yeah. This, yeah. He's crazy. You know what I mean? And they go, hey, somebody going to hurt that boy. Somebody going to hurt him. Mm-hmm. That's what they said about Takashi as well as Jesus for the three years that they ran around and ran hell on this earth. <laughs> and, you know, at the end of it, you know, all right, it ended badly for both of them. But, I'm not going to lie to you. If I had the choice to take a dope three years like they both had and die violently and have it over versus a year, a, a lifetime of very in, a very insignificant existence, I'm probably going to choose that three-year run every time. Man. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I can see that point of view. And another, another thing that um, uh, there was a conversation that about this whole thing or whatever, not particularly uh, Takashi, but I mean, it, he played into it or whatever. I think it was on the Whatever Man podcast. It was just talking about like how you know him, you know, how you just told us about his humble beginnings and whatnot. I mean, there are other people that, that noticed him too from his neighborhood. You know, all those people that he did. My bad. Repeat that one more time. A truck just drove past me and, and made a loud noise from my, my ears. Just hit hit the switch on it. Um, nah, but uh, but um, the conversation was brought up on the uh, Whatever Man podcast, and you know I kind of got an earful of it or whatever, and it makes sense to me too. Like the same way that you talked about his struggle, you know, sleeping on the floor, working at the deli, and all kind of stuff like that. There's tons of people in that neighborhood, tons of people that probably got him in trouble that seen him go through that and seen what he got and know the real him, into where like. They probably pressured him into some situations and shit to where like, oh, you know, I mean, you need us because, um, you know, you, you like the security and shit. They were supposedly gang members. I mean, that was probably people he knew and some people in a certain respect that he idolized from his neighborhood and they kind of weaseled their way in there. It's like, oh, this is our meal ticket, dog. You know, he got money and shit so he can pay us and daggone, we can put the, you know, put the muscle on him. Whenever we need something and shit or whatever, you know, because I mean, everybody got to find a hustle, and those people had him for their hustle, you know? Correct. Yeah, yeah. It's always your own people that sell you out. Again, even even in the Jesus story, you know, they weren't able to track him down until one of his people gave up his location. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every. Every story that you've ever seen, you've seen it time and time again, and the dope game and all that kind of stuff like that, or any rise to power, it's always your own people. Those are the ones that have access to you. You know, those are the ones that know your past. You know, we're living in a world now where you say something, you get, you when you level up, 
someone comes forward with a tweet from 2011 or a <laughs> yeah. picture of you in blackface or brownface from 2001. Who do you think got access to that kind of stuff? Your friends, your people who were with you. You know what I mean? You look at R. Kelly, Danny. Sex tape after sex tape after sex tape keeps coming out. Well, who got access to VHS tape to R. Kelly having sex with his friends? Who else? You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, they're just people that are no longer in the everyday circle. And man, the one thing I can, I've, I'm learning now, I'm, I'm 36. So when I perform in places where I, I, people from high school or people that I went to college with come and I'm so happy that they're supportive of it, but you can tell that they're living a very mediocre, mediocre life. You know, the amount of people that hug me at the shows and slide a $50 bill into my shirt pocket, keep going. Yeah. Go ahead, do your thing, chase your dreams. Like, they're like, yeah, we got the money. We, the money don't mean shit, Dave. Yes, we got the stable lifestyle. The house. I just did a, a birthday party for a Pakistani family out in Montville, New Jersey. When I walked into this guy's driveway, this guy had two Teslas, two Range Rovers, and an Audi. And he's like, you know, huge, huge house. You know, this guy's like big, big in IT. And he's like, yeah, I, I should have done what you're doing. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like, I struggle to pay my bills every month. And he goes, so the fuck what? I could care less about this house, these bills, these cars. He needs a purpose other than just programming code and stuff like that, man. And when people want to get out of those situations, fuck it. You know, they'll, they'll step up and speak on a documentary. They'll go ahead and hand over a piece of footage that they need because it's just like, you know, what else do they got going on, man? Yeah. And I find that weird too, or whatever. It's just like it's always the person in the position of uh, you know, power, authority, wealth, or whatever. It's like, man, if you just do this or whatever, or if this and that or whatever, or you know, they're trying to spread some kind of bogus stuff. Not everybody, but there's some people that are talking like that. Well, why don't you get up off your ass and do this? Why don't you do this or whatever? I was like, well, you made it. Whatever, to where it's either your father died and left you some insurance money or inheritance or some shit. I mean, that that's one thing. But if you a motherfucker that started from the bottom and then worked your way to where you are, I mean, I I tend to listen to those people over the other motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. So what are you saying? You saying like the pe- older people shouldn't? <laughs> You say older people shouldn't chase their dreams? <laughs> yeah, fuck that. Retire. Go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'll be like, um, you shouldn't live with regrets or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of things that people wish they can change, but I'm in the mindset of to where, like, I, I'm scared. Not, not of, you know, things moving forward, but things behind me because I like where I'm at right now. And if I change anything back there, it can fuck up what I got up here, you know? So I don't dwell on the past too much. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think uh, dwelling on the past, so, yeah, it's weird. I mean, cause it's a, there's a fine line between dwelling on it and learning from it, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, you know, like I'm an avid uh, marijuana user, so it's very hard when I'm, not under the influence to, you know, 
spend some time in the past analyzing things and you know some of the thoughts that keep coming you go shit why why is that not why is that not going away why yeah. can i not get past that and um yeah, I don't know what what that's supposed to be. Like, you know, I'd love to have control over my mind and not dwell on things. I've never been able to do that, even since I was a kid. But I've also learned now that that's one of my biggest assets is not forgetting things and being able to draw a conclusion or draw a similarity to the past. It kind of helps me see the pattern mm-hmm. of humanity as well as history. And I don't take things as personal. I don't, you know, yeah. I, I'm not drastically affected because I'm like, oh, we just, we just went through this. We, we literally just went through this. You know what I mean? Like, we just had this whole crisis it was a couple of weeks ago, this goddamn Popeye's chicken sandwich. Yeah. You know, and they're running out of sandwiches. And it killed me that people didn't remember 10 years ago Popeye's was running out of chicken on their special whatever the thing was. And the fact that I remember I saw people posting videos from that show, The Boondocks. Like, yes, oh my exactly. God, The Boondocks predicted the future. And it's like, no, you dickhead. They, repeat they the were past. commenting on the last time Popeye <laughs> ran out of chicken based on their specials. How do you people not remember them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, they're coming back, by the way. They're going to HBO, which I think is a very smart move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. HBO's been really good with the uh, series. Yeah. Uh, so he was talking about, um, you know, dumbasses and asses in general speaking of that you had a podcast i believe called first world problems why is this white boy ass hovering above your head <laughs> you know what's so funny all right so the guy in that picture man and that was another one that i don't know why i did that but we were taking pictures i was taking pictures um in the stairwell so we were at a comedy show at this dive bar and while waiting to go on i had a girl take a picture of me sitting in the alley and the white guy uh his name is ryan chainer he saw me doing that he knew why i was taking the picture because the hallway was all graffitied up and i'm sitting there with this grimace on my face and he goes what the fuck are you no matter of fact hold on take another one and he ran up behind me and he pulled his ass out with the beer and he goes yeah yeah take another one and and the girl snapped the picture and to me, again, it was such a real moment of that kid knows me. What are you doing, Dave? <laughs> Why are you doing that? Like, okay, you can portray yourself however you want to portray yourself, but there's always somebody who knows you that is in the background laughing at the new you that you think you are. So it was a reminder. Do not take whatever facade you present of yourself to be that serious. Yeah. It ain't that serious. You're not like people grow up and, and they create these new characters or they go through a life transformation. Oh, I'm a fitness coach now. I'm vegan or whatever your situation might be. But get over yourself, man. Like, I know you. I know who you really are. You're a jokester. You're a clown. You're silly. You know what I mean? So like this, this tough guy picture in this graffiti hallway. What is that? And I love that picture. I love uh, Ryan Shaner for jumping in there and doing that at the last moment. And it was something I remember thinking that that was going to be an album cover for me at the time. And at the time, the podcast came up and something just said, go with this picture, man. That was it. (laughs) So uh, do you still do that podcast? 
No, I actually stopped. Um, I needed to take a while to build up the mental strength for the um, exactly what's going on now. Mm-hmm. Like, so I did that podcast with uh, originally it was a, uh, with a friend of mine, Chris Cotton, another comic out of Philly. Uh, and then we he kind of fell by the wayside and I started doing it by myself. And when I was doing it by myself, it was just me talking. Just me talking a stream of consciousness for an hour, which is great for me writing new material, great for me exploring ideas. But I went from like 14 downloads a week to, you know, somewhere along the line, it got into like a few thousand a week. But it got, um, as people started listening and they started going through the backlog, like I would have like friends text me out of the blue. Man, you crazy. Is that what you really think? And I'd be like, what, what, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? And I, they're listening to a podcast that I recorded four months ago. I'm over that. I totally, I don't even, I can't even yeah. get into the mindset of what I was thinking when I said that. Yeah. And my words were very triggering to people that I cared about. And I was like, holy shit. You know what I mean? I didn't like that feeling of being blindsided by something that you said that you didn't think anyone was going to hear. Because yeah. literally no one was listening. No one was listening. And now all of a sudden I got friends and family uh, or, you know, friends that, you know, I didn't even know you were listening to my podcast and were reaching out to me about something that I said. So I was like, oh, wow, this is how people get, this is how people get blindsided. And I'm a firm believer that if you said it, you got to stand behind that shit. So, you know, you can't, you can't apologize. You can't back down. So if you, if you're not prepared to defend it, even though it was a while ago, you shouldn't be saying it. And I, you know, I thought about what I wanted for my career. So I took a step back because, you know, I, I did, I wasn't mentally prepared to, to challenge that. Now that I am, you know, I think the podcasting medium and no disrespect to you or anybody else that's doing it, clearly you have a, you, you've been doing it for four years and you're built up. I think the podcasting medium is so oversaturated yes. that it wouldn't be a good idea for me to get back into a podcast like that because it's just going to get lost, you know, and everything. So, um, but I have built up the, the defense. I think now that if I were to ever be on a major platform or, um, you know, like one of those bigger shows, like, like what just happened to a comic that just got Saturday night live. And then they're like, well, would you, what about this thing you said on your podcast last year? And it's like, you know, I've built up at least what I think is a good verbal defense. You know, a lot of yeah. things I say now either behind a paywall or I'm very, I make my listeners go through an extra step to get access to what I'm saying. So like even now I have a show that I'm doing Temple University. Yep. I put out the clips. If you want it, DM me and I will send you the link to the full show. That way, if anyone ever comes to me 10 years later to go, now you said this on this show. I can go, oh, okay. So you subscribed to it because you had to reach out to me to get it, which means you were a fan of me. Mm-hmm. So don't, if you didn't see it, if someone just showed you a clip, we cannot talk about it. If you are a person that literally knew me or reached out to me directly and asked for my artwork, you have no right to be offended. You knew what you were getting into. It's like buying tickets to an R-rated movie. You know what this is. Yeah. Okay, I get that or whatever. Now, I mean, is that free or is it like Patreon or whatever? Um. Well, 
I'll, I guess I could give away a little bit of what my thinking is on that right now. Right now, I'm doing it for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want I want my uh, fan base to be in the habit of coming to me, or you have to do something to get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so if you get it, if you give it out for free, people don't appreciate it. That's one of the reasons why specials are down to 15 minutes on Netflix because you don't have to buy a ticket to watch somebody's comedy special. So you watch it for a few minutes and next thing you know, you're looking at your phone, you're looking at something else and then, ah, whatever, you cut it off. You don't even, it took this person 10 years to put this hour of the material together. You gave it 11 minutes and you were done with it because it's free. You don't appreciate it. You don't have to do anything to get it. So, you know, as long as I can train them to, you know, you have to do at least a little bit of a step to get it, you know, and then gradually kind of groom them to be like, all right, you know, give me, give me five dollars for this or, you know, some sort of subscription. But, you know, just kind of train them, walk them into it. Yeah, I got you. Makes sense. Yeah, experimenting with the marketing concept. That's the one thing that I'm seeing. And there's a, I mean, even now, I'm sure you probably pay for a streaming service. Had someone explained that concept to you 10 years ago, you'd been like, what? I'm going to give somebody $10 a month to have access to music that I have on CDs? You're crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, convenience. You know, that's what that is. You know, it's like I can remember almost getting into car accidents trying to flip through my daggone catalog trying to find a CD to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. And they were all those Memorac CDs with some crazy Sharpie writing on it. And you knew exactly what it was on there. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, I, I I still have one to this day. It's not a music CD. It's a, a movie that I burnt. And um, it, was, uh-huh. it was The Lion King. But uh, when I wrote... The Lion King? Yeah, but when I wrote the name on there, um, I put The King of Lions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got a classic one like that, too. I have a, a, a Kanye West CD that it says high school dropout instead of college dropout because that's just what we were thinking at the time we wrote it on the CD. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like... Remember the... Yeah, go ahead. Remember the, remember the white DVD-Rs? Oh, and if yeah. you didn't label most of the white ones, they, they were just porn on them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you would have like that little uh, CD case full of all these white CDs. They were all porn. And you would have to go through each one to find the scene that you were looking for. You know what I mean? Like you knew all of your porn by heart. No DVDs like four hours long. He's like, oh, I want this scene, and you got to keep searching through the disc. That pornography made me understand computer storage. <laughs> break break it down. For like me. once they started talking about, like once they started talking about like the cloud and stuff like that, and having access to memory. Like, you know, and then some people still put things on disc or tape in case they do not have a connection to the cloud. They can always get their system back up and running because they have the hard files in, you know, on site, usually in a secure uh, fireproof box on on location. And they can always get their business right back up and running. It was one day that I think the power was out or the Internet was down. There was no Internet. That's what it was. There was no Internet. And I couldn't get on the internet to watch porn. And I was like, oh, thank God I got these DVDs still here in my nightstand drawer. I can get what I need, even though I don't have access to the internet. And I was like, oh, this is what we're selling with IT technology. I became the greatest salesman for those three months after that. <laughs> is it, you know, and like, I don't, 
have any hard copies of that stuff anymore. I think I got rid of it. I mean, not even a long time ago, probably like within the last year or two. But I buy Blu-rays and everything now. You know, you can stream it on your phone. You can do all this stuff. But it's just to that point of what you're saying. Internet go out. I got I'm sitting in a room right now surrounded by thousands of DVDs and Blu-rays and everything like that. It's just like I'm set. But the thing about it is there's a movie in here that I would want to watch and I would instead of coming up here and popping it in the Blu-ray player or whatever and watching it, I'm looking through Netflix to see if it's on there first so I don't have to take my ass upstairs and find the movie and put that bitch in the DVD player. Yep, yep be careful. That's a slippery slope in the hoarding right there, brother. <laughs> well, I mean, the movies are all okay. I mean, I, I, that's the only thing that I have um, a mass quantity of or whatever. I don't have nothing too much beyond all these movies. <laughs> Everything else. Yeah, yeah. It usually, starts with, it usually starts with one thing. My mom, I want to, I think my mom started off with, uh, like, my mom is a hoarder. She's got it bad with the movies. I remember one day, one year, we did her taxes. She had spent like 14000 on movies. And this was like out of the bargain bins at Walmart. Same, you know what I mean? Like, you same. know, those little. <laughs> those little twos and fuse that you see in there, she had accumulated $14,000 worth of those cheap DVDs. Shit. I need it. You still got them? Scale <laughs> yeah, back, yeah. Or at least or at least look at what you're spending on it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, can I have some? You know what I mean? You probably ain't watching them no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she's not watching any of them. She's not watching any of them. Yeah. She's just leaving them there for everybody else to clean up. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you, you talk about your parents being hoarders and shit. My, my mom is straight up that. She don't do shit. And my mama is 77 years old now, and all she do is sit on the couch and watch QVC. So I come to the house and shit, and I can't even sleep in the motherfucking guest room, which used to be my bedroom because I got pillows, comforters, Tupperware sets, goddamn dishes, boxes, storage things, all kind of shit all over the goddamn place. I was like, what? why is you even buying this? In case, you know, I don't know, Christmas coming around. I was like, Christmas ain't for another 12 months. We just had Christmas. Who are you going to give all this shit to? <laughs> QVC is interesting, man. Do you uh, have you ever looked at it? Have you ever watched the channel? Oh yeah, uh, many a times for many a hours, just going visit my mom. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, they got a good they got a good hustle going on. Yeah, they prevent, because they're basically tricking old people out of their disposable income. They know old people. They got these guaranteed checks coming in every month, and ain't nobody watching them. Ain't nobody, you know keeping them um, occupied. Like, I love, that's what I love now, watching all of the tricks of how companies find different ways of siphoning money at people. Mm-hmm. You know, so, remember a couple of years ago, it was big with the games on the phone. Yeah. Everyone was giving their kids phones to keep them quiet, let them play Jeweled uh, or whatever, Candy Crush, and the kids would buy tons and tons of upgrades because their parents ain't paying them no attention. You know what I mean? And you, you, they found a way to siphon a bunch of money out of people that way. They get them out of the old people off of the QVC. My girl just had to buy her, uh, her mother, or her grandmother, a shark vacuum for $600, you know, because she saw it on QVC. And I said, damn, that's a good one. 
I just watched, um, I don't know whether you pay attention to America's Got Talent. Yeah. You yeah. watch that show at all? That's, I see clips of it. Well, you know, spoiler alert for anybody that's listening to this, I guess be, you know, pause or fast forward for the next 15 seconds. But, you know, the winner from this past week is uh, Special Needs. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And uh, to me, that's fascinating because that's not a mistake. That's not a mistake at all. And he was not the only Special Needs person in that, in that competition. Yeah. But it gives a lot of people that have special needs children hope that, oh, this person can now be great too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So let me go ahead and put, get my boy into some piano lessons. Let me go ahead and get my, my special needs daughter into acting and dancing and comedy classes. And they're going to spend that money. You're going to see a huge uptick and people enrolling their autistic children into creative arts programs and hope that they're special needs kids can, you know, be that. But, you know, most of those kids have a check coming in every month. Yeah. And they found a way now to access that check. You know, it's a, it's created a lottery system, the same as the way they did with um you remember America's Funniest Home videos? Oh, yeah. You know, that was the same way. Like, yeah, make an ass out of yourself on tape and you could win ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And then there was a period of people were running around doing shit to themselves on purpose, hoping to win that money, you know what I mean? Everyone went up, the purchase of video cameras went through the goddamn roof in the late 80s because everyone was trying to win that $10,000, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, again, I don't know whether it's me overanalyzing it, but it seems very calculated to be like, this is how you get the money out of people that are holding on to any kind of money, you know what I mean? And, and I see it at every different level. I love the QVC thing. Yeah, and it's damn, you talk about them old VHS players and shit. That was some goddamn rocket launches and shit. You put that bitch on your shoulder, you feel like you blow a building up with that mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Is you know, the hustle is everywhere. And it's just, you know, how you navigate what you got. Yeah. Yeah, man. But um what's next for you though? What what's your next hustle? What what you trying to overanalyze this week? <laughs> well, uh so you know, there's a show that I do on social media, uh called Look at it this way. You can search that hashtag on YouTube, Facebook, uh Instagram, Twitter. Uh, and it's basically where I take news stories or anything that I'm seeing in the public and I, you know, just look at it the way I see it. Um, you know, developing a talk show right now called Temple University where, you know, we're exploring my school of thought on other issues and I want to bring other people on and just kind of verbally do some debating with them. Um, you know, uh, people that who do not agree with what what I'm talking about. That seems to be my ongoing theme. And I'm trying that in so many different places to see what sticks. So right now, you know, that's something that I released the clips on social media. If people are interested in the entire show, direct message me. I send you the link for the entire show while it's still free. Uh, Mondays, this Monday, I have another show that I do on Instagram called the unpopular opinion show. Now, what that is, is I have four comedians, and I let them go up there and I let them rant on stage and stand up on whatever their unpopular opinion is. Whatever it is that they know they ain't supposed to be saying publicly, 
we give them a chance to go ahead and do it. Now, we do not air the stand-up portion because that is their stand-up. But what we do after the stand-up is 10 o'clock Eastern, uh, Eastern Standard Time. We go live on Instagram. So my Instagram is at I'm Dave Temple. You can join in the room. I do a one-on-one panel where I sit down and I interview the comics. And we talk a little bit about some of the things that they said on stage, as well as where they come from, how they grew up what their household looked like and what shaped their mind to think that way. And I want people to see that just because you hear something that you disagree with doesn't make it fact. An opinion is just that. It's an opinion, yeah. you know, and there's a reason why someone has that opinion. And it usually has a lot to do with their upbringing or their surroundings as far as what shaped their views. So something that might come across as racist to you doesn't mean that person is racist. Yeah, they might have some racist programming because they grew up with a grandparent or a father or a mother who thought a certain way. They might not still think that certain way or, you know, they're like, oh, shit, yeah, that is pretty stupid. I'm sorry. Can't help it. You know, I've been using that word since I was seven years old. You know what I mean? And it's just like, oh, okay. You know, I I try to cut people a bit of slack on that, you know. Um, Also, my two projects that I'm looking to release Probably February is going to be the realistic date. I was trying to get them out by February, but I have a book that I just wrote that I'm finishing up called Influencer. Uh, it's about social media and what we're doing on here, uh, you know, and whether or not it's a healthy thing or not. But it's definitely, I feel as though it's intentional. You know, I, I see a lot of our celebrities on here engaging in a lot of weird asinine behavior that I, I it, it was bothering me for a while you know when I see someone like Will Smith you know spending millions of dollars to do the ice bucket challenge or you know he's bungee jumping out of helicopters and you know with a full production team and you go what is this is this is he doing this for the likes is he really spending this money just to get likes on Instagram or is it to influence us to behave a certain kind of way yeah so it's a dark fantasy that I wrote, uh, you know, based off of myself and my daughters, as far as, you know, us uncovering what is really going on with celebrities and the, uh, and the social media aspect. And my goal is to release that as well as the second one at the same time uh, in February of 2020. That is actually motivated by the uh, rapper Logic from out of Maryland who yeah. uh, I watched his kid drop an album as well as a novel uh, within like a week of each other and I was just like so fucking impressed at the work ethic and the dedication to do something like that and I'm like holy shit you know what I mean like I thought I was working hard and I'm like fuck that now I'm not going to be jealous about it I'm going to be inspired I'm going to try yeah. and do the same goddamn thing so so those would be the next two projects from me, February 2020, uh, the second one, as well as Influencer, the, uh, the album, which will be available on, uh, you know, Amazon Books. Uh, I'm also going to do a audio recording of that because, you know, a lot of people do not read anymore. So you can listen to me. <laughs> yeah, well, listen to me read the book to you. I, I'm, I'm raising my hand. I know you can't see it, but, like, I'm one of those not reading people. So I'm looking forward to the audio book. <laughs> Yeah, audio books are the shit, dude. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! It, for me, I've I've read, uh, and I, I always say I've read and make it sounds good, but I've listened to fifteen books in the past twelve months. Some of them I've listened to two, three times. A lot of them are great financial books. 
a lot of them are great self-help books and stuff like that. But it was just like, holy shit, man. Had audio books been around when I was in college, I probably wouldn't be doing comedy right now. I'd probably be like, uh, like I, I feel like the guy on Limitless, like Bradley Cooper yeah. on Limitless when I'm listening to audio books. Like, oh shit, I'm getting all the information. It's only taking me like 10 hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, in the vein of audio books or whatever, if you can have one particular person read whatever book you wanted, who would you have do that? Um, hmm. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Is there a voice? Uh, you know, there's, there's voices that I'd like to say uh, for the comedy sake of it. You know, people like uh, Morgan Freeman or, or somebody like P.B. Herman. I'd like to listen to P.B. Herman read to me, you know, The Art of War or some shit like that. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't thought too much. You know, no, you know who uh, who has a really great voice? Um Rosario Dawson. Oh my! You know, you know the actress Rosario oh, Dawson. Oh, Go to my Twitter feed at Three R Show. I got pictures of Rosario Dawson on there for no fucking reason whatsoever, just because it's Rosario Dawson. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, oh god, she's the sweetest thing ever. Like, I, I had seen her around before, but when Andre Three Thousand used her on his Love Below, um album on that track she lives in my lap yeah that shit was it was intoxicating man like you know what i mean and again that was even now just even thinking about that you know that what andre created in that song are you familiar with that song she lives in my lap i haven't heard it in a long time but i know what you're talking about oh my god there's this organized chaos at the end with the saxophones and her talking to him and you know just you can hear the relationship worries and, and everything and it's like yes man that we all go through that we all go through that age of truth and being confused and having a good girl in your corner that you know she's just like who are you afraid of you know what I mean and, I don't know you know and she, she captured that and then I started watching other movies that had like clerks man clerks yeah that that just that girl that comes to hang out with you at your your shitty convenience store job and and allows you to have sex with her, you know, <laughs> like we need women like that. I understand that that was a character, but it's like, you know, that's a real character building moment for a lot of young men. It's a major confidence builder for a lot of young teenage, for all intents and purposes, losers. You know what I mean? Like you're like, hey man, you get a girl like Rosario Dawson to come to your job and have sex with you. Yeah, man, you're gonna be all right. <laughs> you're gonna be all right. <laughs> yeah, everybody gotta get one at least. Yeah, everybody's got one. I know I got one. She's in my head right now as I'm speaking, and hopefully my my lady don't hear this podcast and be like, "I hope that was me." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I got the timestamp on this one, so I will just cut that whole part out. We won't even we won't even hear. It. <laughs> Hey, man, that's what I said. I stand behind it now. You know what I mean? I go, oh, oh, so you listen. You listen. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. You sought it out, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, shit, man. Um, I appreciate you spending the time with me, dude. I mean, from listening to uh, your album, the first one, and just, you know, getting to hear, you know, some of your thought process and looking at the some of the clips from the Temple University and everything, Dude, why aren't you teaching? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but because uh, uh, yeah, I, I would be fighting the fucking students, man. That's it. I know that. <laughs> yeah. 
that was a callback. I like how you played into it. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, once again, I appreciate you giving me your time. Um, I'm looking forward to everything that you got coming up, man. I mean, it, it's you piqued my interest, especially that goddamn audio book, because I don't feel like reading shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I highly recommend it, man. Like, you know, man, if you're an Amazon guy, and as you know, I know they're not paying the plug nothing on this podcast or whatever, but you know, if you're an Amazon Prime person, they give you credits usually for ordering stuff or just using their service. So a lot of books you can buy for these free credits that you got floating around that you might be using for free shipping. Trust me, pick any book, listen to it, and see if you don't, if it doesn't change your outlook on something. It only takes you an hour and a half, two hours, you know what I mean? That's one ride to work and one ride back, and you have got some books all the way down to see if you don't have a different perspective about things. Do you damn do half speed or whatever, or are you just regular speed? Yeah, just regular speed. Just re- the same way you listen to a podcast, yeah. you know what I mean? And you're just taking it in while you're doing something else. Word. You know, I, I, and the stuff the stuff that really stands out to you, you just go ahead and rewind, rewind in 15 seconds and listen to it again. And you go like, oh, yeah, this is way better than rereading the paragraph or rereading the page over and over again until my head hurts and all that dumb shit. Word, you mean you selling me on audiobooks now? This uh, episode of Random Rounds with Rob has been brought to you by Audible.com. If you use promo, <laughs> 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 I probably should look into that. But yeah, uh, before you go, let everybody know where they can find you on social media and whatever else that you want to put out there, other than what you've already did. Yeah, uh, at I'm Dave Temple across all social media platforms where it really matters these days. Um, and, uh, DaveTempleComedy.com is the website, uh, hashtag look at it this way. Uh, yeah, man, look out for me. Uh, I'm actually coming to Texas. I'm, I'll be in Austin, uh, next June, June of 2020. I, my agent did not give me the venue yet, but he did give me the date that, uh, June of 2020, I'll be out there in Austin. So, you know, but you can see all of my dates on DaveTempleComedy.com, any clips and anything up there, you know. And, uh, yeah, man, look out for your boy. I'm on my way to being a big fucking deal. So, you know what I mean? You're probably not going to get this interview again. Yeah. Hey, man. <laughs> See, hey, I, I, I'm going to let you in on a little something or whatever. This, this mythical thing that I made up called the 3R Show Bump, and it, it seems to be working for people. Um, if you frequent Instagram or whatever, have you ever seen the guy with all the guns, uh, Black Rambo? Black Rambo? Nah, I'm, I'm pretty selfish on social media, but I'll look it up. Yeah, but um, I used to serve with him in the military and everything. You know, he came on the show, and I mean, he already had a big following. He had 83,000 followers or whatever. After he came on the show, now he's up to 500 something thousand. So, I mean, that's something for you to think about. You've been here, man. I can, I can get you places. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know what's amazing, too? Because you're not the first person that has reached out to me this way just via direct message and be like hey man just call in man let's talk and i find a lot of guys like yourself that are you know in uh i don't know is texas considered middle america that's the southwest but this other guy was in like uh kentucky or something but you know yeah i'm i'm amazed by people that are like not in the major metropolises that are you know doing something like that you know because you think of podcasts and you normally think of new york and l.a Mm-hmm. So to have somebody be like, oh, yeah, I'm in Houston and I'm doing my thing. You know what I mean? And I have no interest in going to New York or L.A. because I don't need to. I love that. I, I, I respect the shit out of that, man. 
Yeah. Yeah, man. We're we, we making a way around here. And like I said, well, like you said, I mean, it is oversaturated. But I mean, if you feel like you have another purpose as to why you're doing it, none of that shit really matters. Yeah. Now, we don't need y'all to get got no more, man. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know whether you heard the story about, you know, Pimp C and uh, UGK, you know, giving all of their rights over to Big Pimpin' and never knowing how much Jay-Z and Dame Dash actually made off of that song. But, uh, you know, <laughs> glad to see Houston start winning, you know? Yeah. When I moved here, they won the World Series, so I think I'm a little bit of good luck. But at the same token, when I moved here, Harvey hit. So I guess, you know, you, you, you win some and you lose some, you know? You can't have it all. Right, man. right. <laughs> but, yeah, well, once again, man, thank you very much. And, you know, the door is always open for you to come back. Hopefully before you get too famous, that way I can have two interviews under my belt before you rocket ship off this motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, man. Hey, look, I think we built a great rapport here, you know what I mean? So, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, and watching you flourish, you know, do everything with your career as well. And that is the Rhodes Scholar and philosopher, David Temple. Yeah, um, I do apologize a little bit for the audio he was traveling to his next destination to perform for all you lovely people out there in the world. You can hear his soft and sultry tones on stage as he talks about dickamophones <laughs> and all kind of other manner of shenanigans and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, if you want to look up the man, you heard him, go to his website. DaveTempleComedy.com. I believe that's what it is. I, you could be I could be quoting myself wrong on that, but it's all in the show description correctly. And you can follow him on uh, Twitter and Instagram at I am Dave Temple. I believe that's what it is. <laughs> Try to remember this shit off the top of my head. But once again, it'll be correctly illustrated in the show description and whatnot. Pleasure to have a man on. Dude, he, he, he thinks real deep. He dives down deep into the mind and uh make you think <laughs> I don't know where the fuck I was going with that but man I'm I'm bogged down on this Sunday um, as this episode releases and I'm trying to cut grass and freaking do some plumbing and all kind of manner of shenanigans because I am an adult I wouldn't say responsible all the time but I'm trying to <laughs> make better strides to be a better adulting adult i know people don't some people don't like that word but i say what the fuck i want and if you don't like what i'm saying then mosey the hell on you know you just talk about all this hate culture or whatever i mean somebody say something you don't like that's not harming anybody it's just their as a matter of fact they are their opinion and you take offense so if that person is in a position to present media to the masses and you don't like what they're saying and it's not harming anybody, you know, not totally disrespectful or some shit like that. Just don't listen. You know, focus your energy on some other shit. Feed a homeless person or some crap like that. But anyway, speaking of feeding homeless people, because my kids are homeless because they don't have their own income and put in on the bills or anything. So they just kind of live in here for free. So I say they homeless. <laughs> uh, I got to feed them kids. and. While I'm doing that, you can uh, follow me on social media at Twitter, at Twitter. God damn, I'm 
just space. And I'm I'm thinking about plumbing right now. I, you know, I want to lay some pipe, <laughs> but um, I'm trying to fix this busted one up here under the sink in the bathroom. But anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at it's B Rob. It's I T S B R O B. If you want to talk professional wrestling and any other general shenanigans, that's the place you do it. The show that you're listening to has its own Twitter at three R Show on Twitter, and you can. Also, go to randomrobcast.com to where you can find different ways to support the show and all the guests that have been on this lovely podcast. You can go to the guest page, click on their picture, see all the episodes. Well, you won't see them. You'll hear them. you hear all the episodes and um, you have a good old bomb time. Remember, October's coming up pretty soon. I'm going to be a part of the pandemic tour that's coming through Houston, Texas. October 18th through the 20th. If you want to get down with the get down, well, shit, here. Yeah. Nah, I'm not even say that. I was going to say something stupid. But yeah, anyway, if you want to meet up or whatever, just uh, go to their website and get some tickets and everything. And we can hang out and exchange crisp high fives and whatnot. So, uh, yeah. And um, shout out to Hood Trips and Spices. They got some new flavors on the docket, baby. Go to Etsy.com and look up Hooks, Rubs, and Spices, or you can go to Hooks, Rubs, and Spices.etsy.com, which is the place I just said go to and look up Hooks, Rubs, and Spices. But that's the whole thing if you want to go directly there without any searching and um, see what they got brewing on up. You know, get that uh, 10% discount if you use the promo code 3R Show. And I have rambled freeway that you can help support the show, which I would highly appreciate. If you wrote a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this show. And do that to help support any podcast that you listen to, man. Write them reviews. Let other people know that might just peruse by and be like, hmm, I want to try this out, but I'm not quite sure. Let's see what the reviews looking like. And they see the reviews, they see all the five stars and all the greats and awesomes and this and that and the third. And they be like, hmm, they sold me. I'm going to listen. With that being said, I'll see you next time.